My pleasure to welcome you this morning as we've gathered together to worship. And uh, for our call to worship, I'd like to direct your attention to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, talking about the, the nature of the church, the uh, unity and the diversity of the body of Christ. And later in the service, we'll be looking at the Apostle Paul uh, joining himself to the church at Jerusalem. And so we're thinking about the, uh, the nature of the church, our union with Christ means our union with His body, our union with the other people of God. And so what a, what a privilege for us to be able to gather together this morning and uh, uh, come together as the people of God to worship God in spirit and truth. And, and so 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, the word of the Lord says, For as the body is one, it has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greek, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. For in fact the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, Because I'm not a hand, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, Behold, because I'm not an eye, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them in the body, just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members, yet one body, and the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you, but rather, but much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and members individually. Let's pray together. Lord God, we give you praise this morning because of who you are. Lord, we thank you that you are the head, that Jesus is the head of the body, the place from which we, we draw our life and our source and our unity. And Lord, we thank you that when we come to Jesus Christ in repentance and faith, we are united with Christ. And we also thank you that when we come to Christ in repentance and faith, we are united with one another and become a part of his body. And Lord, I thank you for this church, for the body of Christ in this place. I thank you for each one, recognizing that you put each one here according to your sovereignty and as you please, as it pleases you. And you put us together because of our union of Christ, but also because of our diversity, the diversity of gifts. And how each one, each member of this body is absolutely 
indispensable to the proper functioning of the body. And Lord, we thank you that you have brought us together in this place and brought us together this day to offer you our worship and our praise. Lord, we give you praise because you are our provider and our protector. We give you praise because you are sovereign and working your plan and purpose in our lives and in our world. And Lord, we confess that so often we can take our eyes off of you and look to lesser things to be a source of protection or provision. Lord, we look for temporary and adequate things to, to, uh, uh, to give us a sense of security and safety. And Lord, we, we focus on things that cannot satisfy and that are temporary and are weak. And so, Lord, we pray that you help us, give us the grace to lift our eyes from the temporary circumstances of our life and lift them up to your throne of grace. Lord, as we come together this morning, there are things on our hearts and things on our minds that uh, uh, we come to your throne and ask for your assistance. Lord, we pray for the city of Amory uh, today. Uh, and we pray for the law enforcement officials that are searching for the perpetrator, the, the one who committed murder last week, and Lord, we pray that your justice would be done, that you would guide and direct those law enforcement officials to uh, bring an arrest, to bring justice to the one who committed murder, Lord, and we pray that that would also just provide a sense of safety and comfort for the citizens of Amory, and we ask for your comfort to them and your comfort for Miss Baxter's family as they grieve. Uh, we ask that you just minister your grace to to our county and to our sister city as they go through this difficult time. Lord, we're also reminded of those who are experiencing uh, sickness and uh, Lord that uh, you would be gra gracious and pleased to provide healing to those who are ill. Lord, we pray for families that are grieving for Nancy Baker's family and we ask for your, your comfort and your grace toward them. And Lord, we just pray for other churches today meeting across our county, that your gospel, your truth would be proclaimed, that the saints would be built up, and that sinners would be converted. And Lord, we pray that your spirit would grant us the grace this day to worship you in spirit and truth. And it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Right, as we continue to worship, I invite you to take your hymnal and turn with me to hymn number one. Continue to worship this morning. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, we've been looking at the conversion of Saul, the persecutor of the church. Last week we saw that the hunter, the one who was hunting down believers, uh, seeking them out, going as far as 150 miles to find those who were disciples of Jesus, to arrest them, to bind them, and to carry them back to Jerusalem where they might stand trial. The hunter of believers became the hunted. And when he was converted on the way to Damascus, he saw the Lord Jesus, was convicted of his sin, and converted by God's grace, and began to preach. The, the one who had persecuted Christ began to preach Christ, and the hunter became the hunted. And Saul had to be uh, snuck out of town of Damascus. They were watching the gates so that they could seize Saul and kill him. And the followers of Christ, the members of the church in Damascus, helped him to escape, lowering him over the wall, through the wall, in a basket. And so Saul finds that his conversion to Christ was not convenient, it was not comfortable, uh, but there was uh, a time when he who had hunted believers now, be or now became hunted himself. 
And when he goes to Jerusalem, things aren't much better. Of course, those that he used to run with, those that he used to hang out with and, uh, and persecute Christ, didn't want anything to do with him because he was now proclaiming Christ. Uh, the word of Christ was like a burning fire inside of Saul, and he could not be silent. And, uh, and so he went to Jerusalem and found that he had no welcome among his own friends. And because of his union with Christ, he sought union with the church. And let's see how that worked out for him in Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 26. Acts chapter 9, verse 26. And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. But they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles, and he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road, and that he had spoken to him, and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So he was with them at Jerusalem, coming in and going out. And he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus, and disputed against the Hellenists, but they attempted to kill him. And when the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea, and sent him out to Tarsus. And so here we see what happened when Saul the persecutor tried to join himself to the church that he had persecuted. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for your word, Lord, and we thank you for the truth of it. And Lord, again, we thank you for your church. We thank you for your body. And Lord, we thank You that it is a believer's church made up of those who have professed their faith in Christ Jesus and have experienced the transformation of Your grace. And Lord, I just again thank You for community of grace and for the spirit that we have here. And Lord, we pray that uh, You would protect Your sheep and that You would lead and direct us. And Lord, that You would be pleased to add to our number those that are being transformed, those that are being saved, those that are coming to Jesus in repentance and faith. We pray that sinners would be converted and, and, and saints would be edified and built up through the preaching of Your Word and through the proclamation of Your truth and through the ministry of Your church. And it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so Saul had found that conversion... Uh, Coming to Jesus Christ was not comfortable or convenient. He himself had, had, like a wild beast, sought to destroy the church, sought to shred the church. He, uh, he began, uh, we, we began this chapter with Saul breathing out threats and murders against the disciple of the Lord and going wherever they were meeting, wherever he could find them, to arrest them and bind them and take them so that they might stand trial before the Sanhedrin and probably hoping that they would have the same fate as Stephen, that they would be executed by him. And now on the way to Damascus, Saul had gotten letters of authorization to go 150 miles to Damascus to arrest disciples of the Lord Jesus, followers of Christ, members of the church, whether they were men or women, and to bind them and bring them back to Jerusalem where they might stand trial. But on the way to Damascus, the Lord confronted him, and Saul saw the union between Christ and His church. As the Lord appeared to him on the road to Damascus, the Lord asked him, Why are you persecuting me? 
The Lord Jesus appeared to Saul and said, Why are you persecuting me? Well, Saul was persecuting the church and he saw the union between Christ and His church. If you are persecuting the church, you are persecuting Christ. When we come to Jesus Christ in repentance and faith, we are united to Christ, but we're also united with other believers in the body of Christ in the church. And so on that road to Damascus, Saul saw the union between Christ and His church. If you are persecuting the church, you are persecuting Christ. And if you are united with Christ, you are united with with the church, you are to be united with the church. There is no such thing as a lone ranger Christian, a lone ranger believer. When we come to Jesus Christ and repentance and faith, we become a vital part of His body and we are united with the body of Christ. And so Paul saw the importance, Saul Paul saw the importance of union with Christ and how union with Christ means union with the church. And when he got to Damascus, members of the church came alongside of him. Ananias was convinced to come and, and speak to him and to lay hands on him that he might receive his sight. And, and, he, and he spent time there at the church of Damascus where they were encouraging him and comforting him and welcoming him and discipling him in his newfound faith. And he, he, he spent time with them in verse 19 and was strengthened as he spent time with the disciples in Damascus. And he also, the word of God was like a burning fire inside of Saul. He could not be silent. And he immediately went to the synagogues and began preaching Christ. And they had to sneak him out of town. The opponents of the church, the opponents of the gospel were watching the gates, uh, looking for an opportunity to arrest him that they might kill him. And the body of Christ, the other members of the church, helped him to escape to safety. And as we know from the book of Galatians, about three years passed between the time he leaves Damascus and the time he goes to Jerusalem. Uh, and then so that story picks up and, and, uh, and in Acts chapter 9, verse 26, Saul came to Jerusalem and he tried to join the disciples. He had learned the importance, the significance of, of, of Christ and His church. If you're persecuting the church, you're persecuting Christ. If you are united with Christ, you are to be united with the church. And so when he came to Jerusalem, the first thing that he sought to do was to join himself to the church. Now that word join to the disciples. Now remember in the book of Acts, when we see the word disciples, we're talking about all believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, all the members of the church, all those who have profess their faith in Jesus and come to Him in repentance and faith and been born again by the Holy Spirit, learning believers. Now, in the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when we see the word disciples, usually it's talking about the twelve. But as we've turned the page to the book of Acts, the twelve are called the apostles, and all believers are called disciples. And so when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. He tried to join the church. Now that word join comes from the Greek word that is translated glue. And so he came to glue himself, to cement himself with the other disciples. He had learned the importance of, and the significance of union with Christ. Union with Christ means union with the church. When you join yourself to Christ, you're automatically joined to His church. Such is the union between Christ and His church. And so he came to join the church, to unite with the church, to glue himself to the church, to be cemented to other believers, other disciples. And, and when we join ourselves to, to Christ, 
we are joined with this church and other believers become essential to our sanctification, to our spiritual growth, to our maturing in our faith, to, to having victory over sin. The church is, is essential to our Christian life. Uh, and so union with Christ means union with other people, union with the church. And so he comes to try to join the church, to glue himself to the church, to cement himself to the church, to become a part of the church of Christ because he's united with Christ to be united with his church. And we see three things that happened when Paul tried to join the church, when he tried to be united to the church. Uh, uh, the first thing that happened when Paul tried to join Saul tried to join himself to the church was the disciples were all afraid of him. They did not believe that he was a disciple. And so the first thing that happened was he tried to join the church, but they did not trust him. They were not certain that he had genuinely been converted. They did not believe that he was a real believer. Now, it would be easy for us who have the rest of the New Testament to kind of be hard on the church at Jerusalem at this point. How could you not welcome Paul the Apostle into the membership of your church? How could you not welcome Paul and be excited that Paul wanted to cement himself into your church to be glued to the fellowship of your church? I mean, after all, this is Paul the Apostle who's going to write half of the New Testament and be the most effective missionary the world has ever known, the world has ever seen. How could you not welcome Paul the Apostle into the membership of your church? Well, we've got to remember, these people did not know Paul as the Apostle. They knew Saul, the wild beast, who had tried to ravage and destroy and to shred their church. Probably every single person that was present the day that Saul came to unite with the church had been in another meeting that Saul had come and grabbed men and women and drugged them out of the church, put them in chains and taken them to prison and put them on trial. They did not know Paul was the apostle. They knew Saul the persecutor. And they were focused on the things that he had done in the past. Now this was not prejudice. They were not prejudging Saul. They were judging him based on things that he had actually done and things that he had actually said. Saul was constantly breathing threats and murders against the disciples. Every breath he breathed was a breath committed to destroying the church, to shredding the church to devouring the church. And so you can imagine the distrust and the suspicion that the people had towards Saul. Maybe this is a trick. Maybe Saul is just trying to come in to find out who all the members are so that he might be more effective in arresting them. Maybe he just wants to find out when the meetings are and where the meetings are so that he can be effective and binding men and women and dragging them off to prison. Maybe this is a trick. Maybe this is, is, is Saul just trying to infiltrate and become a spy so that he'll know when we meet, where we meet, and who meets so that he might be more effective in destroying and devastating the church in Jerusalem. You can understand their suspicion. You can understand their fear. It's not prejudice. It's based on what Saul had actually done and what he had actually been doing. Breathing out murders and threats against the church, seeking to do everything in his power 
to destroy the church. And he was a man of influence. He even had letters of authorization from the high priest to arrest them and to drag them off to prison. You can imagine their fear and their suspicion, their distrust when Saul came and wanted to join himself to the church. Well, maybe, maybe that was his tactic, but maybe his tactic was totally different. You know, Jesus had joined, had warned the apostles against false teachers, false prophets. He told them to beware of wolves in sheep's clothing. Beware of wolves in sheep's clothing. Beware of those who will come and present themselves as a shepherd, and they will come and deceive you and be wearing the garments of a shepherd and acting like a shepherd, but their real intent is to lead you astray, to deceive you. And so maybe Saul was coming as a wolf, presenting himself in sheep's clothing, clothing himself as a shepherd, saying that he'd been converted, but his real intent was to deceive. Maybe he'd given up on trying to destroy the church from without, from persecution. Maybe he was going to try to infiltrate the church and become a false teacher and use his skill at debate and his skill in the Old Testament Scriptures as he had studied at the feet of Gamaliel. Maybe he... He was going to come and, 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 and sell himself off as a believer, as a disciple of Christ, but really his intent was to deceive and to bring them back under the law that is powerless to save. And so maybe they were afraid that Saul was a wolf in sheep's clothing, that he was pretending to have been converted and pretending to have been a believer, a disciple, in order to destroy the church from the other way. He tried persecution. That hadn't worked. And now maybe he was going to try to come in and destroy the church through deception, through false teaching. But anyway, the disciples were afraid of him. They did not believe that he was a disciple. They did not believe that he had been converted. And like I said, it would be easy to, to judge the church on this, on this count and to, and to condemn that church of Jerusalem, but we can understand. We can understand their distrust and their suspicion. And it's also important to us to recognize that the church of Jesus Christ is a believer's church. The church is to be made up of those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, those who have been born again by the Spirit of God, those who have, uh, have come to the end of themselves, seen themselves as utterly and completely and totally sinful, that there's nothing that they can do to save themselves, and they cried out to the Lord Jesus to have mercy on them. They believe that Jesus died on the cross to satisfy God's wrath against their sins. They believe that God has raised Him from the dead to show that sacrifice was accepted. They cried out to the Lord Jesus Christ for mercy, for forgiveness. They've turned from their sin and turned to Jesus in faith and have been born again by the power of the Holy Spirit. The church is to be a believer's church. The church is to be made up of those who have, who have professed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and who have given evidence of conversion, evidence of believers. And so it's okay. In fact, it's healthy for the church to examine those who present themselves for membership because it is dangerous for us to be yoked together with unbelievers. I believe one of the problems in the church in America today is the fact that so many people have walked down the aisle of a church and been spun around and voted into church membership and nobody ever examined to see if they even understood the gospel 
or if they had a credible profession of faith, if there was any evidence of God's work in their life, they simply walk down the aisle, take the preacher by the hand, they spin him around, vote him into church membership, run him through the baptistry. And these that are unconverted come in and, and raise the positions of leadership within the church. The church is to be a believer's church. It is a covenant relationship. It is such an intimate fellowship glued together, cemented together. That one of the things that is destroying the church in America is we have become unequally yoked with unbelievers by welcoming unbelievers into the membership of the believer's church. And those unbelievers raising to places of leadership and becoming wolves, being wolves in sheep's clothing, with tares being sowed among the wheat, because the church is not discerning about those to whom they welcome into church membership. Church membership is to be meaningful, and the church is to be made up to the, of those who have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, those who have become disciples, learning believers. And so when Saul comes and presents himself for membership of the church, the church is suspicious and the church uh, doesn't trust him and they're unbelieving based on his past actions. Has he really been transformed? Has he really changed? Has he really met the Lord Jesus? Is his profession of faith in Jesus Christ believable? And so the first thing that happened when Saul joined himself to the church, attempted to join himself to the church, is that the church was suspicious and distrustful and actually afraid of him for good reason, because of the things that he had done, had he really been transformed. And the second thing that we see that happens when Saul attempted to join himself to the church, to glue himself to the church, to come into covenant relationship with other believers, was a man named Barnabas took him by the hand and brought him to the apostles. And so we've met Barnabas before. Barnabas, whose real name is Joseph, but he had a nickname. The apostles gave him a nickname. They called Barnabas the son of encouragement. And we met him before in chapter 4. Barnabas had uh, acquired a piece of property in Jerusalem. And when the church was coming together and there was all these people who had lost their jobs because of their faith in Jesus Christ or had relocated to Jerusalem and didn't have place to live, didn't have business, there were a lot of poor people in the church, Barnabas came and sold this property and brought the proceeds and set it at the feet of the apostles. The apostles might use that to, uh, to help the poor, to, to, to distribute to the poor people within the church. And Barnabas was given this nickname, uh, Son of Encouragement, the Son of Exhortation, the one who comes alongside to help and to encourage, to comfort, to strengthen. And we'll see later in Acts chapter 11, I think it is, that he was wise and full of the Holy Spirit. He was a good man. And Barnabas, Barnabas takes Saul and listens to his testimony. He encourages him, tell me how you met the Lord Jesus. Tell me uh, uh, how you have come to be a disciple. How is it that Saul the persecutor has become Saul the proclaimer of the good news of Jesus Christ? And, and, and implied in this passage is Barnabas takes him aside, listens to his testimony, listens to how he came to know the Lord Jesus Christ, how he came to be converted, how he came to be born again, how the Lord appeared to him on the road to Damascus, how the Lord spoke to him, and he also examined the fact that now Saul's life had been changed. Saul's life had been transformed. There was evidence of conversion, therefore his profession of faith was believable. 
It was credible. And the church needs to make sure that those it welcomes into its membership have a credible, believable profession of faith. And so Barnabas took him aside, listened to his testimony, maybe uh, talked to those who had seen the transformation that had taken place at the, the, the life of Saul, how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. Barnabas examines his testimony, his profession of faith, and then takes Saul by the hand and brings him to the apostles and tells them that his profession of faith is credible. It is believable. That there is evidence that he has been converted. There is evidence that he has been transformed by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. He saw the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ confronted him with his sin. He was convicted and he was ultimately converted by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And so the church is to be a believer's church. The church is made up of those who have a credible, believable profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And here at Community of Grace, we, we, we try to, to have a membership that matters. We try to ensure that we do not become unequally yoked with unbelievers by allowing those who, who are unbelievers into membership of the church. And so in Community of Grace, if someone wants to be a member of the, of the, the church, they speak to one of the elders. And the elder examines to see if that profession of faith is credible. A couple of things that we look for. Number one, do they have a basic understanding of the gospel? You know, you cannot be saved unless you have a basic understanding of the gospel. You've got to believe that God created you in His own image so that you might know Him. But you have sinned and cut yourself off from God. You've got to understand your helplessness and your hopelessness. There's nothing you can do to save yourself. You're not going to save yourself by getting your name on the roll of the church. You're not going to save yourself by going through the baptistry. You're not going to save yourself by, by obeying the law, by teaching Sunday school, by being a deacon. You're not going to save yourself by any self-effort. By getting religion. You are helpless and hopeless and all you deserve from God is His wrath and His judgment. But God in His great love became a man in Christ Jesus. And Jesus lived a sinless life. Jesus fulfilled the law. Jesus was perfectly righteous. And then Jesus died on the cross to satisfy God's wrath against you, the unrighteous one. The righteous died for the unrighteous your sin was credited to His account and God poured out the full force of His wrath on Jesus as He hung on the cross. And then God raised Him from the dead to show that sacrifice was accepted. And if we come to Jesus Christ in repentance and faith, the righteousness of Christ is credited to us because our sin was judged at the cross. And if we come to Jesus in repentance and faith, we've been born again to new life, everlasting life with God. Those are the essentials of the Gospel. You've got to have a basic understanding of the Gospel to have a credible profession of faith. I was dead in my trespasses and sin. God has made me alive in Christ Jesus. His wrath has been satisfied and I am saved by God's grace through faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. It's all about Jesus. And so, uh, uh, before we welcome somebody into church membership, we've got to make sure they've got a basic understanding of the Gospel. Because you can't have a credible profession of faith without knowing the good news of Jesus Christ. And the second examination, the second thing we need to, to, to have a credible, believable profession of faith is, is there a desire 
to obey the commands of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, a new convert, a new believer is not going to know all the implications of that. Not going to know all the commands of Jesus probably. Not going to know what all that means. And they're not going to have the, the ability, the spiritual ability, the spiritual strength to obey. They've got the power of the Holy Spirit, but got to grow in that sanctification. And, and so, you know, we're not looking for sinless perfection because that's impossible as long as we're in these sinful bodies. But is there a desire? A desire to do that which is pleasing to God. A desire to obey His commands. Have we been saved from our sin and turned from our sin and not wanting to live a life of sin anymore, but wanting to live a life that is pleasing to God? Is there a desire to obey the commands of the Lord Jesus Christ? The church is commanded to go and make disciples, to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and to teach them to observe all things that Christ has commanded. Is there a desire to do that which is pleasing to God? Is there a desire to be saved, not just from the penalty of sin, but from the power of sin? Is there a desire to be transformed by the Holy Spirit to obey the commands of Christ Jesus? And that desire to do what is pleasing to God is essential to having a credible profession of faith. You've got to have an understanding of the Gospel. I can't save myself. I'm saved by God's grace through faith alone and Jesus Christ alone. But the power of the Holy Spirit has created in me a desire to do that which is pleasing to God. Why do I want to join the church? Because I've been joined to Christ. And, and unity with Christ means unity with His body. And I want to join the church because I want to be instructed in the commands of Jesus and built up in my ability to do that which is pleasing in His sight. I have a desire to do that which is pleasing to God. I want to be saved from the power of my sin. And I want to be able to do that which is holy and godly. Is there a desire to do what is pleasing to God? The third thing that we look for in a credible profession of faith, is there a desire to live in community? Is there a desire to come and to be a part of the body of Christ? If I've been united with Christ and therefore Christ has given me the desire to be united with other believers. And I want to be joined with the church, cemented to the church, glued to the church, come together in an intimate, personal relationship. This word joined to in, in verse 26 describes the most intimate of human relationships. Do I have a desire to live in community? Do I have a desire to be a part of the family of God? Do I have a desire that those who have been my enemies now are my brothers and my sisters in Christ, as is the case of the Apostle Paul as Saul the persecutor? Do I have a desire to live in community? And that means, <laughs> that means being accountable, being vulnerable. You know... One of the instances of the desire to be obedient to the commands of Christ was well, a new believer. I don't know what all the commands of Christ. I don't know all the implications. I don't know what all that means. But others in the body of Christ can come and come alongside like Barnabas and encourage me. Be sons of encouragement, strength, and instruction. The church is to teach me to obey all things that Christ has commanded. I don't know that. I don't know what it means. I don't know all the implications. I don't know how that's going to work out in all the relationships of my life. But I am going to place myself in community. And I'm going to allow other peoples in the body of Christ to come and, and encourage me and, and comfort me and strengthen me and to teach me and to instruct me. And you know what? When I get it wrong, to confront me. And so is there a desire to live in community? To come alongside other believers 
to walk with me, to help me in my walk with Jesus. Membership in the church is essential to my sanctification, to my growing in my faith, to my growing in my ability to do that which is pleasing to God. Am I willing to live in community? Am I willing to be vulnerable and to be honest? To talk about my struggles? To talk about my failures? And to, to, to love other people enough to talk to them about their failures. You know, one of the things about sin is sin deceives, sin blinds. And the first person that sin often blinds is the sinner himself. And so sometimes my sin is more obvious to you than it is to me. And that's why we live in community. Because if I'm doing something that I've rationalized or I'm blind to or I don't see or I've explained away, you can come to me and you can encourage me and confront me and point out to me my sin. Uh, Jesus tells tells his church in Matthew 18, if, if a brother's caught in sin, you go and you tell him his sin just between you and him. And if he repents, you've won your brother. And, and so a, a, a evidence of genuine conversion, a credible profession of faith is that desire to live in community. I want to do that which is pleasing to God and my union with Christ has made me united to other believers. I'm just a, 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 a part of the body and if I'm disconnected from the body, I will shrivel up and die. The only way I can live and thrive and flourish and prosper and grow as a disciple of Christ is to be intimately connected, joined to, cemented to, glued to the body of Christ. Do I want to live in community? And am I willing to be vulnerable? Am I willing to be approachable? Am I willing to be accountable to other members of the body of Christ? Do I recognize that my union with the body is essential to my Christian life? That's an important aspect of, of uh, a, a credible profession of faith. Am I willing to live as a part of the body of Christ, to live in community, to unite myself to a faith family that will help me in my walk. And am I willing to be a helper, a Barnabas, a son of encouragement to others in their walk? Am I willing to love people enough to speak truth to them, even if it might hurt their feelings, if it's motivated toward doing that which is pleasing to Christ? And so the church is to be a believer's church. Someone who wants to be joined to the church, glued to the church, cemented to the church, has to have a credible, believable profession of faith. And the elements of that are a basic understanding of the gospel, a desire to do that which is pleasing to Christ, and a willingness to live in the body. And then fourth here at Community of Grace, a willingness to sign the church covenant. <laughs> to agree to what it means to be a, a member of the body of Christ, the responsibility, the obligation, the duties that we have as a member of the body of Christ. Am I willing to take those responsibilities and those duties upon myself in order that the kingdom of God, that the church of Jesus Christ might be built up and edified in love? And so am I willing to take those duties and responsibilities and obligations that come with being a church member? And so we can understand... The church of Jerusalem being suspicious and distrustful of Saul. They had seen his past life and they wondered, has he really been changed? Has he really been converted? Has he really been transformed? Has Saul the persecutor really become Saul the proclaimer of Jesus? And Barnabas takes Saul aside and encourages him and comforts him 
and speaks to him, listens to his testimony, his profession of faith, and determines that Saul really has been transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Saul really has been born again. Saul really is a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's seen the Lord Jesus. He's been confronted with his sin. He's been convicted and he's been converted by the power of the Holy Spirit. His testimony is believable because I see a transformation. I see that he has been changed. Now Saul's going to be changed a whole lot more. There's going to be a process of sanctification. But at least there is this credible profession of faith. And so Barnabas brings him to the apostles and says, uh, I recommend him for church membership. <laughs> he looks as if he has been he has been converted. Here at Community of Grace, you share your testimony with the elders. The elders come, the church approves church membership, and you sign the church covenant to be glued to, united with the church, the community of grace. And so, so the first thing that happens, if people are distrustful, has he really been converted? Is his profession of faith credible? Is it believable? Is there evidence of conversion? Barnabas listens to his testimony and determines that there is evidence of conversion, and he presents him for membership in the church. The apostles, they welcome him. He becomes a member of the church. And so, verse 28, he was with them at Jerusalem, coming in and going out, going to their meetings and worshiping and growing in the faith living as part of that community, that faith community there in Jerusalem. And then the third thing that we see uh, that happens is that uh, uh, when Saul the persecutor became Saul the proclaimer and a full member of the church, the church wasn't really any safer. <laughs> Even though Saul wasn't persecuting them, now they're being persecuted because of Saul. <laughs> That's what happens next. It's not any safer having Saul the persecutor be a member of our church. Now that he's a member of our church, all those people he used to run with now hate him and hate us more. And so uh, Saul the hunter, again the hunted, and so the church at Jerusalem and, and Saul... You know, the word of the Lord, another evidence of his conversion is the word of the Lord is burning within him. He can't keep it to himself. He can't keep it silent. He's got to talk about Jesus. And so all those people that he used to run with, they don't want anything to do with him anymore. In fact, they want to kill him because he can't stop talking about Jesus. That's another evidence of a credible profession of faith. Are you so excited and so, and so transformed about Jesus that you can't stop telling people? about your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul spoke, Saul spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenist. Ha, exactly the same guys that he used to run with. Remember it was the Hellenist that had a problem with Stephen. Stephen went to the synagogue of the Hellenists and he was disputing with them and they couldn't stand, uh, they couldn't uh, stand up to Stephen's arguments. They couldn't refute him because Stephen was speaking to them the truth. They drug him before the Sanhedrin and then they drug him out of town. They stoned him to death. And when they were stoning Stephen to death, who was there giving approval? Who was part of the synagogue of the Hellenists that was there? And the ones who were stoning Stephen were actually laying their garments at his feet. Saul. Saul the persecutor. And so those that he had run with, that he had disputed Stephen with, and given approval to the stoning, the execution of Stephen, now Saul is going to those same old people and proclaiming boldly the name of the Lord Jesus to those who had killed Stephen. And those that he had worked with, cooperated with, given approval with in the murder of Stephen, and been emboldened by the murder of Stephen to go and take more people, now Saul is going to those old buddies going to those old meetings 
And instead of disputing the claims of the Lord Jesus Christ, he boldly proclaims the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what is the response of the Hellenists? They're not converted. Now they want to kill him. They tried to kill him in Damascus. And the believers, that community of faith, that faith family, heard about it, knew that they were watching the gates, and they snuck him through the wall in a basket. Well, now the family of faith, the community of believers, and Jerusalem comes alongside Saul the persecutor, Saul the former, former hunter, and they find out about this, and they help Saul escape again. And so the faith family, the community of faith comes together and protects Saul and gets him out of town. Gets him away from those who are trying to kill him. And so Saul, on the road to Damascus, recognized the unity between Christ and His church. He recognized that if you persecute the church, you're persecuting Christ. And then when he got to Damascus, he also recognized that if you're united with Christ, you're united with the church. You're part of the body. Part of the family of faith. The community of grace. And so when he came to Jerusalem, he immediately tried to join himself with them, but the church was suspicious. They, they knew his past actions and they wondered if he'd really changed. Has he really been converted? Is he really a believer? We're a believer's church. And we need to make sure that those who join our number are or have a credible, a believable profession of faith. Of course, we, know, we don't know anybody's heart. We can be deceived. But we need to have due diligence to make sure that those that we welcome into the membership of the church are, have a credible, believable profession of faith. To make sure that there's been real transformation and that the sinner has been saved from the penalty of sin and is desiring to be saved from the power of sin. And so, the church, Barnabas in this case, the son of encouragement, conducted an examination. Listen to his testimony. Does he have a basic understanding of the gospel? Does he have a desire to do that which is pleasing to God? Even though he might not have a complete knowledge of what all that means or what it's going to look like, uh, uh, does he have a desire to do that which is pleasing to God? And does he desire to live within communities? Is he willing to glue himself, to cement himself to the body of Christ, to live in intimate relationship? a relationship of accountability and duty and responsibility in the body of Christ. And when he did, he came in the body of Christ, he found fellowship, he found strength, he found encouragement, he found safety. And that's the beauty of the body of Christ. We come together, individual members, but just parts of a body, united with each other because of our union with Christ. And we have a duty and responsibility to protect the sheep, to protect the church, and to guard the church, to be on the watch out from wolves in sheep's clothing. And we do that by being discerning. And so as we consider this text, a couple things. Number, number one, is there evidence of conversion in your life? Have you made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ? And is that profession of faith credible? Do you understand the Gospel? Do you understand that you can't save yourself? That there's nothing that you can do? No law you can obey? No ritual you can perform to save yourself? 
that you are dead in trespasses and sin. There's nothing you can do. You can't get religion. You can't do a ceremony. All you can do is turn from your sin and run to Jesus and find safety. Do you believe that you're a sinner deserving God's wrath and that God became a man in Christ Jesus and Jesus died on the cross to satisfy God's wrath against sinners and God raised Him from the dead to show that sacrifice was accepted. He calls us to repent and believe, to be born again to new life, everlasting life. Have you put your trust in Jesus Christ and in Him alone for salvation? Are you trusting in Christ and stop trusting in yourself, your religion? Have you put your trust in Christ? Have you been born again? by the power of the Holy Spirit? And do you, do you have a, a basic understanding of the Gospel? Number two, do you have a desire to do that which is pleasing in God's sight? Do you desire to obey His commands? Maybe not knowing all that means, what all is going to entail, where it's going to lead you, what it's going to... You know, Saul had, had no idea that he was going to be beaten by the Jews and beaten with with, with with the cat of nine tails and beaten with rods and left for dead and stoned and shipwrecked. He had no idea, but he had a desire to do that which was pleasing to God. Do you have a desire to grow in your knowledge of what Christ requires and a desire to do that, uh, cooperate with the Holy Spirit to do that which is pleasing to God? Do you desire to live a holy life, a life set apart to God? And do you desire to live in community? to make yourself accountable to other believers and to love other believers enough to speak truth and love, to desire body life and, to, and to, to come together in a covenant relationship that saints may build, be built up, that sinners might be saved and the kingdom of God expanded. Do you desire to live in community? Is there evidence of conversion in your life? A second application, are you a Barnabas? Are you a son of encouragement? You know, lost people come to the church with baggage. And newly saved people come to the church with baggage. Their past life, their past actions, and those things are an obstacle. And people wonder, have they really been converted? Have they really changed? Have they really been set free from those chains that bind them? Have they really been converted? Have they really been saved? And, 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 and those people need encouragers. need people to come alongside of them and to comfort and encourage and strengthen and admonish and, and, and to walk alongside. You know, If they've come to Jesus Christ, they've lost their old community. Those people they used to run with and do those things with and, and, and sin with, well, now those people don't want anything to do with them because of their faith in Christ. Do they find a son of encouragement in the church? Do they find a Barnabas to come alongside of them? Do they find someone to come and love them and encourage them and admonish them and, and recognize that they're going to fall and be there and pick them up when they fall? Are you a son of encouragement? Are you a Barnabas? Are you willing to take somebody that everybody else is suspicious of and afraid of, take them under your wing and disciple them in the Lord Jesus Christ and determine them that if their profession of faith is credible and to encourage them in the faith? We all need to be a Barnabas, a set of encouragement to other people. And then third, we need life and community. An intimate fellowship where we recognize that every single people Every single person in this body of Christ, every single member of this body of Christ is here because God has put them here. 
And every single person in this church, every single person that's in the covenant relationship with us is essential to my sanctification. Every single one of you have a role in making me more like Jesus. Because of the life of community. And so that's why the body will not function if one of its parts is laying over there by itself. That part will shrivel up and die and the body will suffer. Because every single member of the body of Christ is essential to the sanctification, the maturity, the growth, the holiness, the godliness, the discipleship of every other member. They're all necessary. And we're to protect, we're to provide, we're to encourage, we're to comfort, we're to admonish, we're to strengthen each other, we're to speak truth and love so that the body may be built up and that we all might be conformed to the image of Christ Jesus. It is a community project. Sanctification requires attachment glued together to the body of Christ. Is there evidence of your conversion? Are you a Barnabas? And are you glued together with the other people of God? Has your unity with Christ resulted in unity with the church? Let's pray together. Lord God, we're so thankful for Your, your grace toward us in Christ Jesus. Lord, we thank You for a glorious message of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And Lord, we're thankful for Your love for us in sending Jesus to die on the cross, to do for us what we could not do, to pay the debt that we could not pay. We thank You for His death for sinners and His death for us. And Lord, we thank You for His resurrection, showing that sacrifice was accepted, and we're thankful for the ministry of the Holy Spirit, making us alive, giving us new life, convicting us of our sin and converting us making us disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, we're thankful for the body. That You save us and You don't leave us out there on our own to figure it out, to take care of ourselves, to fend for ourselves. But Lord, You bring us into the body where we've got a community of grace, a family of faith to come alongside and walk with. And Lord, I thank You for each one in this church, this body and the role they have in my sanctification in making me more like You. And Lord, we pray that You would grant us the grace to all be Barnabases, to encourage, to comfort, to admonish, to warn, and to pick up and restore, to forgive, to make peace. Lord, grant us the grace each of us to be a Barnabas and to welcome, to strengthen, to comfort, to encourage, to protect until we all see you face to face. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Right, I'm going to invite you to, to respond to the Word. Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, may He make you complete in every good work to do His will, 
working in you what is well-pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.